In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the Sunday of the Samaritan woman of the Holy 50 Days. As you know, we read from the account of the Samaritan woman also during the, the period of the Great Lent, and the Church places the reading again during these Holy 50 Days because the living water that our Lord refers to in his dialogue with the Samaritan woman is the living water of the Holy Spirit, whom he pours out on the day of Pentecost upon the church and upon each one of us who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's significant that uh, the, the dialogue and the interaction and the meeting takes place at a well. Um, and the well has a significance in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, Isaac met Rebekah, Jacob met Rachel, and Moses met Zipporah at a well, and it was there that began the, um, the journey towards their un being united in, in, in holy marriage. So it seems that the well is a, is a good place to go to meet someone if you're single. We don't have many wells left, but uh, maybe that's why we have more single people in the world. But, uh, but all joking aside, um, one of the great uh, contemporary saints of our church, Abuna Abdel Masih al Menehri or Abuna Abdel Masih al Makari, a monk uh, from the monastery of St. Makarius who uh, later served in uh, the village of Al Menehra or Menehri in uh, the area of Al Minya, the governorate of Al Minya. He died in 1963. He was a man of great asceticism and uh, a man who was given many uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in his, his desire to be hidden from the world, and his desire to be unknown, he tried to act foolishly in order to hide uh, the, his many spiritual gifts. And so oftentimes he would, uh, he would tell people, I want to get married. Isaac Gawiz. And uh, the people at first thought he was uh, just being silly, but he kept insisting throughout the, the latter years of his life, I want to get married. And the people started to think this man is crazy. He's a monk and uh, he keeps talking about wanting to get married, wanting to get married. Why did you become a monk if you want to get married? And then uh, some days before his departure, he was full of joy and he kept saying, I will celebrate my wedding on Easter. I will celebrate my wedding on Easter. And uh, again, the people thought he was just, uh, as usual, was acting foolishly and was out of his mind. But in fact, he died on Easter of 1963. And what he was saying throughout all these years was that in fact, uh, the, the mystery of our Lord's passion and, and resurrection, the mystery of all of his salvific works for, for us, is the mystery of our being wedded our, to the, our bridegroom, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he accomplished for us was in order to accomplish this union as the bridegroom with his bride. And if we live this mystery of Christ, the joy of that preparation as Abuna Abdel Masih experienced throughout his life, it will be a joy of experiencing in the here and now the, the love of the beloved, but also anticipating the great day in which we will be completely and fully and more perfectly united to him. So this is what we see in the mystery of, of this meeting at the well. Um, we see that, in fact, the whole mystery of Christ is represented in this story. There is a sort of hidden unfolding of the gospel in this one story. The sinful woman, of course, is here as a symbol of, of humanity, 
all of us are represented by the Samaritan woman. We have been rejected, we have fallen away, we have found ourselves fallen and unable to get up on ourselves, we are despised, and this in fact is the condition of humanity. And the Gospel tells us that our Lord needed to go a great distance to get to Galilee through Samaria. And this great distance, of course, is the incarnation, the great descent of God into the human condition, putting on our flesh. The Gospel tells us today that Jesus was thirsty, and it was the sixth hour. And of course, we should immediately have our minds on the cross. Jesus thirsty again at the sixth hour when he was crucified. The repentance and the new birth of this woman represents the resurrection. She and all of us, by encountering Christ and being touched by him, are raised from our condition into newness of life. The living water that he offers her is the Holy Spirit, which will be poured out on the church and which abides and who abides in each one of us. And then we also see even the evangelical work of the church represented in the story in which the, the people of Samaria, they hear the good news, they receive the good news, they accept the good news, and they then become believers themselves. And we see here the spreading of the gospel and the spreading of the church. So, of course, this uh, story is a real story, but it is also a hidden parable, a hidden parable in which the mystery of Christ is revealed for each one of us. Jesus wants to emphasize that his going a great journey, his dying on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit is for each one of us individually. One of the fathers said, for my sake, God created the world. For my sake, he became man in Jesus Christ. For my sake, he suffered on the cross. And for me, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this is the great message of the gospel today is that all of these things that we have been preparing for over these almost now approaching 100 days as we approach the end of, uh, as we go to the final stretch of the Holy 50 Days, is this mystery of what God wants to do for each one of us. He is our bridegroom. And he shows us that he has a great yearning, again, as we saw throughout Holy Week, a great yearning to bring us back to the Father and to bring us back to our rightful place of exaltation at the right hand of the Father. We see also in the Gospel today that there is an honor that is accorded to every person, even those whom we view as the so-called sinner of the Gospel, the tax collectors, the, the sinners, the adulterous woman, the, uh, the thief. Every one of these images that we see throughout the Gospels the Lord teaches us today that they are to be honored, not just to be redeemed, but even in their sin, they are still honorable. And Jesus first shows us this by honoring the woman first before bringing about her conversion. He honors her by putting himself in need of her. He comes to her as the almighty God, hidden in the, in the face of Jesus of Nazareth, but he comes to her as almighty God and he puts himself in need of her as a sinner. And he says to her, give me a drink, I am thirsty. And so Christ teaches us that we are in fact honored before we are even redeemed. 
And this is very important because we might think that God doesn't heal us or that God doesn't, or we should say God doesn't heal us in order to honor us, but he honors us in order to heal us. And there's a great difference. God doesn't first heal us, raise us up, somehow give us a sense of our own perfection and then say, now you are honored. But on the, on the contrary, he shows us that we have inherent honor, we have inherent dignity, we have inherent, uh, the inherent stamp of his image and likeness in which he sees himself and us, even as sinners. And it is when we recognize and accept this honor that the healing begins. And this is the message for how we deal with one another too. Because if we want to heal our relationships, if we want to heal the discord that exists in our workplaces and in our families and in, and in our schools and in our world, we have to honor one another, even those whom we reject as so-called sinners, even those whom we, who despise us, those who do not think like us. Whatever, whatever that person might be, it doesn't make a difference. We are called to honor them because they are a person made in the image and likeness of God. And in honoring them, we have the possibility of knowing them, listening to them, and loving them. And they also have the possibility, as we see in the Samaritan woman, to return that love as she did for Jesus. So when Jesus says that if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again, he's not offering humanity some sort of magic pill, you know, some, some, some pharmaceutical pill that will take away all of your problems and my problems, that will take away all of your sadness and my sadness. But what he's telling us is very simply is, is that what humans are ultimately thirsting for is the acknowledgement that they are loved, that they are honored, that they are known, that God has a plan for them, that God wants to raise them to the, the measure of the honor in which they were created. And now we have in Christ the possibility to never thirst for this. Yes, I will have all kinds of problems in my life and difficulties and crosses that I must bear, but I will never question to whom I belong. I will never question that I am honored and loved by the Almighty Creator who made me and made heaven and earth. I will never thirst again for meaning in my life and purpose in my life because it has been given to me in Christ Jesus. These things we should never thirst for because they have already been poured out and made very abundantly clear through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said to one of the saints, he said to her, if you knew how much I love you, you would die of joy. I have established my home in your soul. I live in you as if you alone exist in the world and I had only you to bless. If you only knew how much I loved you, you would die of joy. This is what we should never thirst for, is that affirmation of who we are and how we are honored by God. And so we see in this woman and in all of us the fatigue of sin, the fatigue that comes from not knowing why we were created and, and that we, we are unconditionally loved and redeemed by the only one who can redeem us. And we see this fatigue sometimes in ourselves when we doubt our own dignity and calling. We certainly see it in others who, who refuse to accept the, the work of, and the, 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 the teachings and the work of Christ. And so we see this woman, once her heart begins to open, begin to say, Sir, give me this water. 
that I may never thirst again, to keep coming here to draw water. What a, what a beautiful cry that comes from the depths of one's heart. I beg you, Lord, give me this water. I don't want to thirst anymore. I don't want to keep searching in an empty world for that which only you can give me. And we see that once fatigue has set in, once the fatigue of sin has set in, then there's no joy in life anymore. There's no energy for life. Many of us, we walk around doing things, as one father said, in order to cease from existing. I found that a very powerful image. Those who engage in hours of wasted time on the internet, on pornography, on useless things, what they're really doing is they're saying, I just want to cease to exist for these two hours, for these three hours. I want to pretend as if I don't even, that I'm just returning to my nothingness. I have no energy to be alive to myself, to my loved ones, to the world. Let me just cease to exist. There's a, a rock band, a hard rock band called Three Days Life, or sorry, Three Days Grace. And despite the name, um, they're not a Christian rock band. The, the name of the band actually was just taken from one of the, uh, the, the bandmates who was given three days grace for some debt he had to pay. Um, it's a, the song is called So-Called Life, and it's a, it's a very popular song among hard rock enthusiasts. Uh, a catchy song, one that has risen to the, uh, the charts. And uh, I looked at the words of the song because I found myself actually enjoying the, the song itself, but the words were very dark. So I want to read actually the words of the, the song, the, the verses and the, the chorus. So he begins, of course, in the song that's called So-Called Life. He says, can't laugh, can't cry, can't live, can't die, can't do anything anymore. Can't love, can't breathe, can't talk, can't sleep, but I can't seem to stay awake anymore. What a time to be alive, such a waste of blank, insert expletive, time. What a time to be alive, such a waste of blank time. Then the chorus is, oh, give me something to take the edge off, something to kick the night off, something to keep my mind off this so-called life. The next verse, feels like I want to jump, want to scream, want to run, want to blank put a chainsaw through the wall. Feels like I'm living in a world where everybody is all for none and none for all. What a time to be alive, such a waste of blank time. Oh, give me something to take the edge off, something to kick the night off, something to keep my mind off this so-called life. It's very painful to, to read those words and to hear them being sung also as a cry from the depths of the hearts. I don't in any way uh, read these verses as a judgment. I read them because they are the verses that come from all of our hearts at times. If we are honest, this is the cry when we ourselves begin to doubt. 
what God has done for us and what he has called us to, there is no other way to look at life than the cry of these young men in this song. But Jesus himself said very beautifully in the 10th chapter of St. John's Gospel, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus hears the cry of, 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 of the verses of this song and the verses and the, and the cries that come from all of our hearts that ask how we deal with the fatigue of living, how we deal with the fatigue of sin. And he says, I have come for this reason. I have come specifically that you might have life, real life, true life, eternal life, which begins now. And from the very beginning, Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, he tells us this is the path before us. He says, echoing the words of the Lord in Deuteronomy, See, I have set before you today life and good on the one hand, death and evil on the other. I have set these two paths before you. Again, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. So life is being offered to the Samaritan woman. Life is being offered to the world, to each one of us. But life also has to be chosen. We must choose life. We must choose and accept the life which God offers us. And that's why he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for the living water. If you knew the gift of God. This, this um, sort of shocks, should, should shock us if you only knew the gift of God in your life. And, and, and we can only meditate and reflect on what this gift of God is. Of course, if we only knew the gift of God who is the person of Jesus Christ, he says, if you only knew the gift of God which is me, the person who stands in front of you, if the world and I only really knew the gift of who Jesus is to me and to the world. But it's not just the person of Christ, but it's all truth, all beauty, all love. If we only knew the gift of our baptism, if we only knew what really happens in baptism, if we only knew the gift of the Eucharist, if we really knew the meaning of marriage, if we really knew the meaning of friendship, if we really knew what prayer does, if we really knew what repentance causes in us, if we really knew this is the problem, is that we live at the surface and Jesus tells us, go deep, Go deep, because the, the one thing that I will show you on the day that you close your eyes to leave this world is I will show you how you never knew the depths of God's love for you, the, the gifts that he offered, that he gave you throughout your life. You will, you will regret that you never considered, reflected, pondered, and knew the overwhelming love that has been given to us in Christ and in the church and in the sacraments and in our relationships with one another. This will be our greatest regret. So, at the end of the gospel, there's a beautiful statement about faith. 
in verse 42, the, um, the Samaritans, they hear the word from the woman of Samaria. They come to believe because she, her testimony. But then they say something very powerful. They say, now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We don't need your testimony anymore. We don't need to hear you anymore. The truth of who Christ is, is an internal reality for us now. And this is the, the maturity of faith, the maturity of faith. We might say that this is the difference between Peter and Judas. That though Peter and Judas both, in a sense, honored the teachings of Christ, but Peter came to stake his life on the person of Christ. And Judas couldn't. Peter, at the end of the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, when many people leave because of the words of Christ about the Eucharist, unless you eat this, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And many said, this is a hard saying. Who can, who can believe it? Who can follow it? Who can, who can understand this? And some of the, the disciples abandoned Christ. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, do you also want to leave? So you see, some are still at the surface of teaching, of doctrine, not yet at the level of the person. And Peter says very beautifully on behalf of the others who remain faithful, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the one. Just as the, the Samaritan said, we have come to know that our lives only have meaning in you. It doesn't matter that we don't understand everything that you say. It doesn't matter that sometimes we have expectations that you don't meet, which is what Judas had to sort of bring in the, the new kingdom of Israel and overthrow the Romans and so on. It doesn't matter that I don't understand what's happening in my life at all times. It doesn't matter that sometimes it feels like you're against me, even though you say you're with me and you're for me. None of that matters because... To whom else shall I go? I have come to believe that you are the Savior of the world. I have none other than you. So this is the, the perfection of faith. When our joy and our peace rests on the person of Christ, not even on understanding his ways, his teachings, and certainly not on the ups and downs of our daily life. So what a great mystery we read in the, the gospel of the Samaritan woman this morning. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who offers us today this living water, may he give it to us in abundance so that like the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans, we can say, this is the, indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world, to whom is due glory now and ever and to